Kim Vatz is a postdoctoral researcher at the Department of Computer Science at KU Leuven, Belgium. She has more than 10 years of experience in security and privacy and software engineering. Kim is one of the main forces behind the development and extension of Linden, a privacy threat modeling framework that provides systematic support to elicit and mitigate privacy threats in software systems. Kim joins us to explain the difference between security and privacy and introduce us to Linden and how to use it. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Kim Vatz. At Security Journey, we believe security is every developer's job. We work with our customers to help them build long-term, sustainable security culture amongst all their developers. Our approach is to provide security education that's conversational, quick, hands-on, and fun. We don't do lectures. Instead, we let the experts talk about what's important. Modules are quick, 10 to 20 minutes in length. We believe in hands-on experiments, builder and breaker style, that allow your developers to put what they learned into action. And lastly, fun. Training doesn't have to be boring. We make it engaging and fun for the developers. Visit www.securityjourney.com to sign up for a free trial of the Security Dojo. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Application Security Podcast. This is Chris Romeo, CEO of Security Journey. I'm also joined by Robert Hurlbut. Hey Robert, how's it going today? Hey Chris, yeah, it's Robert Hurlbut. Uh, good to be here. Threat modeling architect. And we are about to talk about something that fits right along with Robert's title there. Right. We're going to we're going to dive a little deeper into the world of threat modeling. And so a little bit of a backstory here as to how we got to this interview. So I was actually doing a talk at a local event here in the Raleigh, Durham metro area, and I was talking about threat modeling. And somebody raises their hand at the end of my talk and says, hey, what do you think about um, privacy threat modeling using this Linden method? And I said, hmm, that's a great question. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. And so the gentleman gave me a couple of sentences about what it was. And I thought, hmm, this is something I want to learn more about. And so our guest today is Kim Vatz. And she is going to explain this idea of privacy threat modeling. But first, Kim, our audience is always on the edge of their chair wanting to know what is your security slash privacy origin story? How did you get into this world of security and privacy? Well, first of all, really great that I can join your podcast. Um, so I'm a, I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the university um, at KU Leuven in Belgium. And I kind of just rolled from my, my thesis into some more security research. I Well, I think one of my first project was to apply stride to some architecture which I, I I really liked and how I shifted to privacy is actually also a similar project where I again was asked to do security assessment of an architecture so of course we used stride and then my colleagues who were asked the same to do for privacy they said well wow you guys have a method to like systematically analyze security. That's really interesting for privacy. We don't really know how to approach this. So that brought us to the idea of, well, that's um, well interesting and we should see how we can combine something like 
threat modeling and, and privacy knowledge. And that's kind of where my, my research took off and uh, focused on privacy and threat modeling. Very, very cool. And so one of the things I wanted to state and kind of work out very early is what's the difference from your perspective between security and privacy? Because I see a lot of folks still, even in the security industry, I don't think they really 100% understand the differences between these two things. And so from your perspective, what's the difference? Yeah, we, we get a lot that privacy is just confidentiality. But of course, it's a lot more. I would say it's all like encompassed within the Linden acronym. So um, it's a mnemonic for linkability, identifiability, non-repudiation, detectability, Disclosure of information, unawareness, and non-compliance. So the information disclosure is just one of the seven categories there. It's sometimes difficult to to draw like a strict line be- between security and privacy because, well, when you, when you talk about confidentiality and access control and limiting what attributes you want to share or you want to store, then there's a thin line between security and privacy. But I, I think one of the main differences is yeah kind of the way you approach it as security is really about protecting the assets of yourself of you as a company or whoever is doing the assessment while privacy is protecting the assets of the data subject Um, so you kind of need a different mindset to think about privacy and it might conflict also the way your business would look at it because maybe the the data is useful for, from a company perspective, but it would violate the data subject's privacy. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's very helpful to kind of get your perspective on the differences there. And I certainly want to dive deeply into the different areas that make up the mnemonic behind Linden, because I'm fascinated. (laughs) I'm fascinated by (laughs) what those things are, but I think it would help our audience who have heard a lot about stride and threat modeling uh, from the security perspective. I mean, Adam Shostak has been on the show a number of times. Um, Joff, um, there's been a number of different people that have that have been here to talk about threat modeling, but we've never talked about it from a privacy perspective. And so what are the kind of what are the differences between security and privacy threat modeling? So content wise, we have the different mnemonics, we have the different categories. Yeah, I, I already mentioned like the, the perspective is different. So when a, a typical security threat modeler would look at something, they will not see it as a as a threat while from a privacy perspective, it would violate the data subject's um, rights. The attacker perspective is a bit different as well. From a security threat modeling perspective, you would talk about a mis-actor or an attacker, an external attacker. And from a privacy perspective, a lot of the, well, I still call it threats, but I'm not sure whether that's the right term anymore, is more about internal misbehavior, where the system processes more data than it is supposed to do or collects more data or shares more data. It's kind of thinking about what is your system or the, the organization behind it 
doing wrong with respect to the data subject. So it sounds like the one of the differences you're describing here is that while security threat modeling tends to look from the outside in, we're always thinking about the trust boundary and what interfaces are crossing that and what particular threats exist around that that trust boundary. It sounds like you're saying from a privacy threat modeling perspective, you're more interested in almost an an inside out view or look at yeah. how the issues um, are coming together. Yeah, sort of, although I would still state that maybe even more so than for security, many threats are located on that crossing of trust boundaries. It is precisely when you collect data or you share data that that crosses that trust boundary that you have like the main privacy violations. Of course, when you look at compliance and, and minimizing internal processing, then it's clearly within the trust boundary, but I, I would say a lot of um, issues still are at that trust boundary. Hmm. Okay, well, that's, that's definitely good to know. So um, before we dive into the, the kind of the mnemonic and, and walk through each of these categories, I'm curious about the process behind Linden. And so meaning is it's similar to what we do in the security side where we're using data flow diagrams and we're drawing pictures as our way to try to unlock where the threats are coming from? Or have you taken a different process approach to actually using the Linden mnemonic? Yeah, no. So we were very much inspired by Stride. So we also believe that you will need to have in parallel uh, a security assessment to be sure that the entire range of security and privacy is covered. So that also um, made it, according to us at least, useful to follow Stride quite closely. So you have one DFD that you can use both for the security and, and privacy assessment. So we we kind of follow the same steps. We have the, the data flow diagram for which you make a mapping table um, for each of the Linden categories, and then you just systematically go over each of the cells of the table and look at the Linden uh, knowledge, the Linden thread trees um, to determine whether for that specific DFD element, um, a privacy threat occurs. So I'd like to walk through the list of categories within Linden. Uh, I see one that looks familiar, but everything else, <laughs> everything yeah. else looks like it's uh, kind of some new stuff. And so if we start with linkability, I'll just read. I, I, I pulled the list off from the Linden website, which we'll provide as a resource to folks uh, so they can go dive into this a little closer. I will go ahead and just read the description. And I'd love to, to have you kind of give us some more some more details behind what this actually means. But when I look at linkability, it says an adversary is able to link two items of interest without knowing the identity of the data subjects involved. Yes, kind of already sums it up quite nicely. It can be seen as kind of the prerequisite for identifiability. So basically, the more data you collect on one person without necessarily knowing who that is. So when you link all those attributes, you get a more scoped view on who that might be. So you have something that is called the anonymity set, which are which which is a collection of possible um, identities or persons that might um, correspond to the data. Um, and the more information you have, clearly the the smaller that anonymity set becomes. So by linking more information, 
you would more quickly go to identifiability. But also linkability could lead to attributability, to basically singling out one identity without knowing that identity. So you can all link something to a pseudonym, but you don't know who that is in real life. So it's not identifiability, but you still create a profile. And also it can also be linking data, the same type of attributes, but about different people. So for example, when you link information about people who have the same disease, that's also linkability. And that can lead to, yeah, like some some more societal harm where a insurance company might use that information to say, well, a lot of people in that area have a higher chance for this kind of disease. So we will ask them to pay more or something like that. So there are different consequences coming out of that linkability category. So you gave an example of kind of disease as a, I guess, an item of interest. What are yeah. some of the other items of interest there? Is it is it something as simple as like name, address, phone number, or is there something else that you're specifying? It can be basically everything or any combination of attributes even. There's not really like saying when you just remove the name, then you're safe for linkability and especially also not for, for identifiability, but it, it can be basically all types of combinations. You have also something called pseudo-identifiers or quasi-identifiers, which are on their own, nothing special. They will not reveal any information, but when combined, they are sufficient to identify with almost 100% certainty, everybody in the anonymity set. But it's really hard to state like what type of attributes that could be precisely. It really depends on the, the, the data you have and also the additional information other people might have, um, which is in the current age kind of a lot. So it's not really easy to say it's, it's this particular attributes. It can be, um, I don't know, your hair color and your size and whatever. I've seen an interesting example of this, and it may also fall into identifiability as well. But for example, I've seen some sites, social media sites that on one hand, you were supposed to be anonymous. But on the other hand, if you had a Instagram account or something like that, they would automatically link to it and show photos or something like that. And so people could figure out who you were just simply by connecting the dots, uh, by, yeah. by making those connections without getting your permission uh, to do so. So th those sort of fall into that linkability, but also, I guess, potentially identifiability as well. There are a lot of examples, like a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years, probably more, um, AOL released a, a whole list of um, search queries and some researchers re really managed to uh, identify one of the, the, the people doing the queries based on, I don't know, it was some things about her dog and something about her son. And, and just the, the unique combination of search queries were sufficient to identify somebody. So that brings us then to identifiability. An adversary is able to identify a data subject from a set of data subjects through an item of interest. So it sounds like there's a lot of connectivity there between linkability and identifiability. Yeah, yeah. So you link pseudo-identifiers or you link some anonymous or de-identified item of interest to something that's already identified 
or you, you further narrow the anonymity set until you eventually get some some unique identity. Yeah, it's 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 related indeed. Okay, and then the next one is the familiar one to those that know Stride. Yeah. Um, non-repudiation or, you know, repudiation is how it appears on stride, but non-repudiation, yeah, exactly. the data subject is unable to deny a claim having performed an action or sent a request. And so how does that play out in the privacy side? Yeah. So, so uh, from a privacy perspective, um, sometimes plausible deniability is something we need. If you think of online voting, you will want to be able to deny who you voted for. Some kind of whistleblowing systems would also benefit from these kind of things. It's not necessarily mainstream requirements, but for, for uh, specific applications, plausible deniability will be an important requirement. So it kind of conflicts with repudiation from Stride, but I, I don't think that it's really a conflict for any application because I don't see an application where you would need to have some some really strong proof of something and at the same time have for that same action plausible deniability. Yeah, that makes sense. And so the next one is detectability. An adversary is able to distinguish whether an item of interest about a data subject exists or not, regardless of being able to read the contents itself. How does this one work? Yeah, so so this is again where the, the line gets thin between privacy and security. It's kind of a bit like side channel attacks where you, so just by observing that some information is being sent, maybe at an irregular time, you know that maybe an emergency situation occurs or based on the size of information that is being transmitted, you can deduce more information that will that can be linked to the profile and provide more information there. And there are so many things that you can deduce from side channel attacks and, and, and those kind of things. Like a couple of years ago, I think it was even shown that based on the electricity or the power consumption of a TV, you could deduce what which show was being watched. So, I mean, the possibilities are endless. And then the next one is disclosure of information, um, yeah. which is one of the OWASP top 10, right? Disclosure yeah, of information. So, so. so it's, the, it's the category we kind of borrowed from Stride. Ideally, you don't share any data, but of course, you will need to have some data in your systems and share it. But then the least you should do is to properly protect it. So you will need confidentiality clearly. Yeah. And then unawareness, the data subject is unaware of the collection, processing, storage, or sharing activities and corresponding purposes of the data subject's personal data. So this is from the perspective of the me as the user of being unaware that somebody's collecting data when I should know that they're collecting. Yes. Yeah. So so this one and the next category are more the called the soft privacy categories. So this is more about transparency, like as a data subject, as a user, but even if you're not a user, but data is being collected about you, you should be aware of that. You should be able to um, to get access to that information, uh, to know what is being, why it is being used. You should be able to intervene to some extent to the processes that are be that that the data are being used for. So it's it's yeah, it's more about data subject rights basically. 
Okay, and then non-compliance, I think I know where this one's going, but the processing, storage, or handling of personal data is not compliant with legislation, regulation, and or policy. So I'm guessing there's a GDPR connection. There's potentially, there's this new California CCPA law that's affecting us here in the U.S. So I'm guessing that's where you're going here. Yeah, so yeah. So the, the category is already uh, almost 10 years old, I think. So it was pre-GDPR, but indeed, when we created our framework, we saw that need to link privacy more closely to legislation. Um, and we're, we're already working on aligning it further with GDPR and looking at, at different uh, regulations. But basically, overall, the, the main concepts of all uh, data protection regulations are kind of similar and relate to uh, minimization, privacy by design as a whole, consent kind of concerns and so on. So you mentioned privacy by design. Does Linden, yeah. is this a framework that gets me privacy by design or is privacy by design something different? That's almost a philosophical question, I would say. So yeah, it, it gives you as much privacy by design as Stride would give you security by design. So I think it's really something that will help you. So for me, privacy by design means that you really think of privacy early on in your development. So by applying uh, something like Linden, you will systematically integrate privacy in your design. Ideally, you will also document your decisions which will give you the accountability you would require from laws like GDPR. Uh, so in that sense, yes, I would say it's, it would definitely facilitate privacy by design. How would you recommend somebody get started using this Linden framework? A lot of times our listeners are relatively or, or brand new to a topic. And so some of them might be sitting there thinking, hey, I've never heard of privacy threat modeling, didn't even know this thing existed how would you recommend that they get started using this and being successful with this methodology? Great question. And that's actually something we have recently been working on as well. So Linden has been around for almost 10 years now and we're getting great response and, and people seem to like it. But when, when you then go deeper and ask how they apply it, well, we get some feedback that maybe threat trees are can be a bit complex to to understand and people tend to use the acronym as like inspiration for brainstorming but really don't go further than that and kind of miss the intended systematic approach similar to stride so that kind of inspired us to look for something more lightweight and so we, we recently launched Linden Go which is a, a toolkit that aims to provide some more lightweight uh, support. It's basically um, a set of threat types, so descriptions of things that can go wrong, uh, categorized per Linden category, and it provides a lot more guidance than, than the three states. So we have some guidance questions, we have some examples, some more information, some hints towards likelihood and impact, and it's, it's bundled in a toolkit. It's actually uh, a set of cards that should get you started. It's so it, it was driven by industry demand. So we're really looking forward to get feedback from, from the bigger community. We've tested it out on a, a number of occasions, but still it would be really great to get input from anybody who is getting started or is already familiar with privacy, with threat modeling, to see 
what the next steps are to further improve it and to make it easy and lightweight to use. Where would you recommend that our listeners connect in order to provide feedback? When you go to our website, where you download the, the Linden Go PDF, so it's all publicly available, there's already a link to survey an online questionnaire. So that would already be very helpful. There is also a link to the Linden email address, which is info at linden.org, or you can just connect to to me personally through mail or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever. So when you're thinking about the future then of privacy threat modeling, what are some of the areas that you think we need to explore in the coming year? From a more meta level, what I think is, is interesting to see is that even though threat modeling has uh, been around for, for over 20 years now, it's still kind of ad hoc and there's not really like a formal definition as I mentioned before, the feedback we got from Linden, we get the same things when we talk about Stride to people. There is such a, a big variety of how you would apply something like Stride, how you would apply threat modeling. Everybody kind of has, has a different definition. So kind of streamlining this would, especially from an academic perspective, be, be very interesting. And then further than that, I, I think focusing on making it more lightweight as threat modeling is quite labor intensive i i think you need a lot of time you need expert knowledge um, it's still mostly a manual process there are some tools like the microsoft tool which will help you get along but it's more about generating documentation than really about automation i i'm not that familiar with the, the commercial tools so maybe there is some some more features there. So I think looking at how we can give more support there from, from automation tooling support, what do you need? How do you need to extend your models? Because your models would then need to contain more information to automatically extract risks or threats from that. Also something interesting I think is evolution or, or change management because your model will change and it would be great if you would not need to uh, redo your entire threat model analysis over and over, but you only need to do the, the, the delta um, analysis. Uh, so I, I think there are still quite some interesting topics to further explore. Yeah, we totally agree. Uh, both Robert and I, as big fans and practitioners of threat modeling, <laughs> I think there's a lot more work to go in. It's exciting just to think that there's a lot of a lot of folks that are out there thinking about the future and even specifically how privacy comes into this. And so, uh, Kim, any any last final thoughts or conclusions that you would offer? Maybe a call to action for our audience. Yeah, I just hope I've inspired some people to to think about privacy. Feel free to have a look at the website. And I, I, I really hope that people will uh, give some feedback on, on Linden Go and, and tell us how we can improve it or maybe even share what they see as challenges and, and give us some more interesting research areas to look for, to, to examine. Kim, thank you for taking the time to educate us and our listeners about privacy threat modeling and Linden. And it's definitely uh, piqued my interest to go dive even deeper into this topic. And so thank you very much for sharing your knowledge here. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. 
You'll find the show on Twitter at AppSec Podcast or on the web at www.securityjourney.com slash application dash security dash podcast. You can also find Chris on Twitter at EdgeRoute and Robert at Robert Hurlbutt. Remember, security is a journey, not a destination.